0: Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And
1: now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast.
0: Hello, everybody, Michael Jans and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution, creators of the most powerful marketing and communication software built specifically to meet the needs of insurance agencies and brokerages, if you believe that the relationship you have with your clients is the heart of your business, then you need to see how agency revolution can make those relationships stronger and longer. If you haven't done it lately, you got to see the new features, visit agencyrevolution.com and receive a demo of their award winning software today. So a little bit of a different kind of a podcast today uh, in that Uh, This is more of a recording of a conversation with a uh, dear professional colleague and friend than it is me interviewing a colleague or a friend, uh, because um, at my guest's request, he actually hosted it and asked me to share my insights and to engage with him on his insights. My guest is uh, Randy Schwantz, a name that many of you may be familiar with. Randy is the author of at least three books on insurance sales. He is the uh, president and founder of The Wedge. Uh, He has taught thousands of agencies and agency producers um, his six-step method for skyrocketing commercial insurance sales. So for those of you who have a practical orientation to growth, I think you're going to love this conversation. Um, We uh, touch on a number of topics, Uh, talent acquisition in the modern age, um, unlocking revenue uh, potential with um, the marriage of sales and marketing, where they're operating together um, and dominating content marketing and how to get content marketing done for you. So without further ado, except a couple of very quick announcements, number one, uh, as always, if this podcast has been valuable to you, if you'd be kind enough to give us a five-star review, I'd be super duper grateful. Number two, uh, if growth gets your uh, uh, glands flowing um, and it's uh, you have a serious commitment to it this year and hopefully for years to come, uh, I have a couple of offers that I'd like to make to you both without charge. Uh, number one, I've been hosting a series of small group Zoom executive roundtables, which I shortcut as ZERTS, uh, where we discuss the strategies, tactics, techniques um, of organic growth in an insurance agency, regardless of size. Uh, and I share uh, what's, uh, what's working today in the real world of insurance marketing, or uh, if you would prefer Uh, to have a private one-on-one new revenue conference, more than happy to have that conversation with you as well uh, to explore the strategies and tactics that will work best in your agency. So either one, um, if you're interested, here's how you raise your hand. Email me at michael at michaeljans.com. And I will, uh, and simply tell me what you want to do um and i will get back to you with a link for either one so without further ado it is my privilege to invite you to enjoy this conversation with Randy Schwantz
1: hey there everybody Randy Schwantz here and i'm with Michael Jans spell it j a n s uh michael's been uh, a marketing guy forever and that would be like centuries almost. I mean, he's got that kind of experience. <laughs> well, decades. <laughs> decades. And uh, obviously, or maybe not so obvious, uh, I've been in the sales uh, arena here in the insurance industry. So basically, you might have uh, between our two our two brains together, uh, 60 plus years of experience working with independent agencies, helping them do one thing, and that is grow revenue. So we just thought it'd be great to Kind of get on and just talk. So this is not an interview on either side, but we're just talking about the things we're interested in. And, and here's one of the things that was a big, big, big revelation to me. And this uh, this is about five years ago. Being a sales guy, almost everything is a one to one relationship. I make one cold call, I go on one sales call, I close one deal. And I was a part of a mastermind group where all these people were like Michael. They were marketers, and they were doing one to many and it was amazing to me because and they were all coaches and consultants like I am but because they had the marketing acumen down they were able to exponentially outperform guys like me because they saw and they had identity of a marketing person so i am so thrilled to sit get to get to, to to work with michael and talk about marketing because it's been something that's been on my mind. In fact, if you look at all the sh- the books on my shelf now, uh, I used to have thousands of, or really, literally hundreds of books on sales. If you look at what I've been buying for the last two years, they're all marketing. So, Michael, how you doing, man?
0: I'm doing good, and I'll I'll do a sort of point counterpoint or fill blanks. Okay, so yeah, indeed, I have been a marketing guy for. let's say roughly 30 years and I'll, i'll i'll give a little bit of a background on that okay i was hired long time ago to be the ceo of the pia the professional insurance agents on the west coast and uh you know it's pretty much no secret i've spoken openly about this when i when i took that position i very quickly realized um that revenue was going in the wrong direction. And then there are several revenue sources for a trade association, membership, education, and in our case, air's and emissions insurance. And they were all going in the wrong direction. And um, my background in nonprofit management did not prepare me for that. I was lucky in that the at the first um, conference, the annual convention for one of the states that I operated, I hired a guy by the name of Jim Cecil, who was a marketing guy. He was a top-rated speaker at Jay Abraham's twenty-five thousand-dollar marketing boot camp, and I knew that everybody was like taking notes. Uh, but I was looking at this like I don't need notes. I need a lifesaver, right? So I like, throw me a lifeline. Um, and so I spoke uh, privately with Jim. And um, he was my doorway into a world of direct marketing. So he took me, he mentored me uh, and also shared with me back in the day, cassette tapes and manuals from guys like Jay Abraham and Gary Halbert. And then I got introduced to Dan Kennedy and, and ultimately ended up becoming personal and private students of what who I consider to be some of the best marketers in the world. Um, And and I quickly realized, oh, gosh, you know, like Randy, like you said, if you can communicate effectively and persuasively one on many, you can, you know, create a magnet that moves people toward you. Um, And so fortunately, and and I say this both from a personal perspective, because I had five kids at home, um, but also professionally, it was good because this was my career. Uh, everything started to go in the right direction. So we actually ended up with the fastest growing errors and emissions territory in the country. Um, I was selected as rookie of the year. We had the fastest growing membership uh, in the country. Uh, The convention, you know, was just became like the go-to place. And so, you know, we had a competitor and fortunately, you know, we kind of learned how to leave the competition behind. So that was my introduction to marketing, and I, I did take it seriously and invested a lot into working, you know, and really working privately with the people I thought were the best marketers in the world. Then I launched.
1: Can I just a jump? In. I I, I just want to jump in on yeah. something. Yeah. So so most most people probably don't know who Gary Halbert, Jay Abraham, or Kennedy are. I mean, just, maybe not. Just yeah, maybe yeah, the not. Average, there would no be no reason for it. Or Joe Polish, who
0: I think or, you aggregated yeah. with for a while. He was yeah. uh, he was a colleague of mine. We went through a lot of this together.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, uh, these guys these guys are amazing with a capital M in the middle of that. So anyway, yeah. the 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 point is, you had the best mentors in the world to learn what I, you
0: did. I did. I found yeah. out who the best of the best were, and that's mm-hmm. and, and I and I also realized that um my uh tuition, which was not cheap. It was a lot more expensive than than college tuition, right but the the amount invested in my marketing education paid back in dividends um and and I would you know and I think that's a, an, an important
1: sort of case in point. yeah, so I want to jump in again because here in a little while one of the things I want you to talk about is lifetime value. Oh, and you can too. go yeah you right. can go <laughs> lifetime value of knowledge that you got you paid a lot for that but but you probably got about a thousand to one return on the the tens of thousands of dollars you spent with with Jay and Joe and Dan and all those guys I mean huge return on investment but if you don't look at what that lifetime value what it's going to create for you mm-hmm. it's hard to become stingy and, oh yeah, right. Oh, because yeah. It,
0: you, you, if if you're thinking, you know, gosh, I just, you know, whatever. Back in the day, I just spent five thousand dollars on a seminar or workshop or something like that. I, more than likely, by the next Tuesday or the next Friday, you're not going to get it back, right? right. Um, but if you apply um, and execute and do it with some skill, boom! At, at some point, you start to say, "Where can I go invest more in my own education?" Right. <laughs> and, you know, and it and it doesn't doesn't take that long. It takes some discernment to understand the difference between like who's got real substance and who's got flash in the pan. Right. There, I mean, understandably. And now I think that's I think it's a bigger problem now than it was then because of the Internet. Right. You know, it's it's um, made it really relatively easy for people to, you know, shout about how great they are and maybe even to, you know, um uh, you know, introduce something to the marketplace that's got a lot of sizzle to
1: it. It is, but there's a the flip side of that coin over. It also now makes it easier for all of us and the people we're talking to and talking about to become great marketers because in the old day, you know, you had to you had to write a great piece of copy. you had to pay for either a magazine ad or you had to pay for a whole bunch of letters to go out, and it was really expensive. And so therefore only the people who really knew how to do it well could capitalize on it. Today, yeah. you know it's easy to try little things, experiment, test it, boom, 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 and then expand it out and and then build your own empire. It, yeah, there is, there, the there's,
0: there's a critical element to that model because there's yeah. more because you're right. Um, th- there were some there were more barriers to entry into marketing back then. Like it's like my- writing a book.
1: yeah, in the old days, right. you had to get a big time publisher in New York. Right. Now everybody's not, not everybody yeah. self publishes and they're all they're all New York Times bestsellers. Even with the, <laughs> I sold three <laughs> copies, New York Times bestseller. I've seen that a lot. Whatever. Okay. Yeah,
0: um, uh, yeah I, I, I'm an Amazon bestseller in in the smallest niche in the world, and 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 I was there for one day. But you know what? It's going to be on my resume forever. Yeah, I know we all see that, and so. Um I, I do want to emphasize a point here. Um, yes, back in the day, my entry into marketing were, was um, some risk, but not that great of a risk. I took out a third-page vertical ad in one of the trade magazines, and the response I got you know, kind of blew me away. And so I very quickly went to full-page ads and then fairly quickly went to full-page ads in four of the major trade magazines. Now, that being said every single campaign fatigues and it wore out and you know i had to i had to learn different media so i ended up with what i'm sure was probably the most active mailhouse in the insurance industry outside of like carriers and national carriers and my mailhouse had one client michael jans but we were delivering 28 or 32 page sales letters to thousands of people. And they were going out, you know, with some frequency, you got to get pretty good before you do that. You also have to do your math. But now the point that I wanted to make, Randy, is that because there's so much volume of content out there and the barrier to deliver content is not that great. Admittedly, I mean the technology intimidates some people, but it, the barrier is not that great. Right? Um, it really puts the onus on the marketer to deliver high quality content, and and it, you know con- content marketing really is the you know that that's basically that's just uh, the the meat and potatoes of great marketing is delivering content that people care about. Uh, my premise is that the most advanced form of content marketing is thought leadership where you're not just saying kind of what everybody else is saying um, and doing it with frequency, but you're really adding an element of wisdom to it, a perspective to it, an insight to it. Um, and uh, that's, you know, that 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 doesn't happen overnight. But if, you know, for insurance agents who want to be really good at it, I, 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 you know, I do have a process that gets them from not a marketer to a thought leader, dominating a marketplace in a relatively quick period of what I don't do, and I'll be very clear about this, is I don't do what Randy Schwantz does. I don't train producers, salespeople. That's that's a different part of the process and a critical part of the process, particularly in the you know commercial lines, mid market arena. You've got to have talent, but um, the yeah, I, I do think that now. You know, if we were going to talk about, hey, what's different between back then when we started and now? I mean, you know, clearly the volume of content is much greater, right? I mean, look, you can hop on LinkedIn and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're going to see 10,000 things, um, most of which are not that interesting, not that good, not that compelling. It's, I'm so proud we this, I'm so humble we this, Um, I'm so me, 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 right? Um, and so most of it's not that great. And so if you can, if if you can be the signal above the noise, and deliver that with some elegance, you're in a position where you can really dominate a marketplace.
1: Yeah, and and then the other word I just on the back of that is with consistency, right? The signal above the noise, elegance, yeah. and consistency. Because consistency it, matters. Yeah, it it, it it matters a lot, and. um uh, that's good. Yeah, the, in the certainly in the middle market space, commercial insurance, a lot of people subscribe to a, a product that they can they can pull articles off and send them out. And, okay. And, right. And I'm I'm not judging that one way or the other. I, it's probably doing that's better than nothing at all. But but it, it's not the same as what we're talking about today. It's not thought leadership. It's not my brain working, conceptualizing based upon my philosophy and how things ought to be. In my experience and putting it out there in a way that people can be gravitated to it, it's more like just sending out news that you could clip out of a newspaper and, and go. So yeah, it's, it's a much a,
0: different thing. It's it's um it's similar to uh the, the use of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, I've got I do have a client who said, you know what, I'm getting some blogs done with artificial intelligence, and he didn't disagree with me. He he agreed with me. That it's uh it's okay. Um, you know, so it's two stars or two and a half stars and a five star rating. Um, and I said, you know what, it's better than nothing. But mm-hmm. if you want to really dominate that marketplace, let's talk about ways we can elevate the quality of that content and add more, you know. So let's say you've got a, a 750 word blog. Let's see how much how rich how much we can infuse intelligence and wisdom and perspective into the same 150, 750 words.
1: Yeah. And it's hard work. I mean, being the author of six books, uh, of which two are pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to get, you know, um, we, we, Abraham Lincoln one time said I apologize this is so, so long if I had more time it would have been shorter or something right. like that yeah you know? so it's uh it's hard to do great content marketing it's really hard
0: yeah it's it's it's, it's hard all right so we talked to, you'd mentioned customer lifetime value yes all right I'd, I'd, let, I'd, me a, let me give you a let me give you a
1: situation I, I want you to be the cynical old guy that just picks us apart okay you ready so here's the deal Let's suppose somebody hires me and just to make it really simple, they pay me three grand to train and put their producer on a platform and that sort of stuff. That producer only does, we're just going to do it for one isolated. They do only $10,000 this one year. What's the return on investment? Well, I would say, because most of them tell me that their retention rate is in the high 80s, low 90s. Mm-hmm. So that means if they put $10,000 on the books, there's a great chance it's going to be on the books seven, eight years from now. So if I go eight times 10, that's $80,000 and they invested three, what's the return on investment?
0: A lot better than you're going to make almost anywhere else, period, right? (laughs) Yeah. I, I I think for a business person, um, you know, if if we took a dollar and let's say we invested in the stock market, and it's a pretty good year, maybe we get a buck twelve, right? That's a pretty good year. But you it's know, of course year. there's some there's some years you're gonna get back, you know, maybe 98 cents, and that's not such right. a good year, right? So there's there's some of that. But um if we were, you know, an entrepreneur or an insurpreneur, as I like to call them. And, and we put a buck into the business in sales and marketing, done reasonably well, we're going to get multiple dollars back, $2, $3, $10, depending on how you measure it over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I Yeah, from a marketer's point of view, there are really only two numbers that matter. Um, one's customer lifetime value and shooting for maximum customer lifetime value. And then the other one is... Uh, customer acquisition and cost of customer acquisition, and so that if, if an insurpreneur can really understand first of all what their numbers are, and they usually don't know what does it cost me to get a customer, they don't know what's my customer lifetime value, they often don't know, and then and then if they can really understand what drives um, an an increase in customer lifetime value and what optimizes the the cost of The acquisition of customers, boom. Then they really become unstoppable. Um, And and I think you know, Randy. I'm sure that one of the roles you play is not only to get them better at those things from a salesperson's point of view, but to keep them focused on them. Because you know, you you and I both know that every entrepreneur and insurpreneur has a million things to do, and it's very easy to get swept into the whirlwind of day-to-day ops and to lose sight of, of those, those two things. Now, you know, I've got a way to break down those things and I've got a way to analyze those things and to optimize those things, but just paying attention to it matters. Um, yeah, in fact, I'll, I'll share a brief story with you, a conversation I had some months ago with a former client. I hadn't had a conversation with this client for probably 15 years. Now, huge uh, enterprise, ninety million dollars, um, a uh, a master agent and one of the you know big networks, and, and his own retail agent, um, and and you know, in during the course of the conversation, when we reconnected. Uh, he said, you know, there's one thing that you shared with me that changed my life. And I said, gosh, you know, what's that? He said, the value of customer lifetime value. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, well, I'm glad I was able to leave that with you. Okay. So, yeah, how, how do we increase customer lifetime value? I'm, I'm going to share a um, the some data on a spreadsheet.
1: Well, while I, you're I, doing that, uh-huh. I want to jump in there because one of the things that that we built into our, our Serum technology platform is the ability to drag and drop and build a written service plan for clients uh-huh. so that exactly what you're going to do is out there. It's easy to do and it's fast and it's also easy to manage. Um, And, you know, so we'll talk about it from the perspective of, of so that you can insulate those clients from your tough competitors, but doing so is, is uh uh, adds to, like you said, if it adds just one more year, and Mm -hmm. I think you're getting ready to tell us what the value of one more year is or two more years, the value of that, it's just an amazing thing. Yet it's hard to get people to see it because here's the difference. If they don't have a written service plan, then what they're doing is they're making verbal promises. Well, all your competitors are making verbal promises when there's no plan in place, then the buyer's having to sit there and hope that it all works out. Nobody would build a house without a blueprint. Nobody. right? And so when you're spending middle market, $100,000, $300,000, $500,000 on your insurance, you would think that person would want the blueprint for how that thing is going to be managed over the next 12, 24 months. And what it does to, like you said, the LTV so uh-huh. let's look at it. See what you yeah, got. Yeah, let's
0: talk about LTV. So I, <clears throat> I have a a spreadsheet in um, a little toolbox I call the Customer Lifetime Extender. The premise is you should start by knowing your numbers, and so all you need to do is plug in your retention and your current annual revenue, and it pops out some numbers that are pretty fascinating. and And if anybody listening to this wants a copy, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I'll send you a copy of this toolkit. It's called the Customer Lifetime Extender. So let's just, for example.
1: Take... Are you going to share your screen?
0: Oh, gosh, I could do that. Sure. <laughs> if
1: you want to, it's up to you. Yeah, all right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm happy to. And for those, I, I, I will also share this, you know, the audio of this in a podcast. So then the, I'm going to walk everybody through it. But let me uh, do a screen share. We'll take a look at it. Um and do I have permission from you to share it? Yeah, you do. Okay. Oops, hang on. Yeah. Yeah. It'll just take me a moment to share the screen. There we go. So boom. Yeah. Okay. This will be fun. All right. You can you see my screen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is my tool called the Customer Lifetime Extender. So let's say they enter. Their retention in this case, you know, it's difficult to know exactly what industry average is because there's so many variables. So you know, it's like they are infinite variables. Uh, but let's say you know, let's let's assume this agency's running a annual retention of eighty eight percent, and they're a three million dollar revenue agency. All right. So at eighty eight percent, that means that they're Customer years, meaning the number of years that their customers are going to stay with them, is averages out to 8.33 years. It also means that they'll be generating $25 million from that book of business over the next 8.33 years. Now, we bump that retention two points, it means their customer years goes up 1.67 years to 10 years. It also means that they bump their revenue up from that book of business. No new customers, no uh, increased policies per customer. Just taking those customers generate an additional five million dollars. You know where it gets to be really fun. You know, let's bump it up to ninety-two uh, percent from eighty-eight. Right. So now we've added. We've gone from eight point three three to twelve point five years. We've added. Uh, you know 4.17 years and we've also gone from um 25 million to 37.5 million we added 12.5 million dollars. how did we do that just by increasing retention so the value of the kind of things you talk about yeah look at the if you see the bar chart down there I mean it gets ridiculous I I have a I have a client. Who's got a an over ten year record of ninety six percent retention or more? Okay, uh, you know, and I, I've got a I've got another client with a hundred million dollar book of business running a ninety three percent retention. Right. I mean, sometimes people think, oh, when you get that big, you're going to lose your customers. No, not if you're doing things right. So, uh, you know, like on your end, um, as you mentioned, having a a written service plan boom. I mean, we've we've stepped up the relationship beyond the vague verbal promises that nobody remembers and nobody believes, right? Into like a legitimate relationship that I've committed to. I'm committed to that relationship. And then we add on the kind of things that marketing can deliver. Thought leadership, frequency of communication, value-added, Um, And then, you know, some other things where you can engage people. So it increases the sense of relationship, engage them with a survey, engage them with a poll, engage them by encouraging them to give you five-star reviews, engage them uh, to encourage their referrals. Boom, you create a, what I call a highly loyal insurance client. In fact, it reminds me of uh, Bain's research on loyalty in the insurance industry. And what they discovered was if you measured loyalty with a net promoter score, which a lot of agents do now, because a lot of the technologies make that available. They divide loyalty into three buckets. Low loyalty, which means they measure between zero and six. Mid loyalty, which means they come in at an NPS at seven or an eight. Or high loyalty, which means they come in at a nine or a 10. What they covered was that the highly loyal insurance client delivers three times the lifetime value of a mid-loyal client and seven times, you know, seven times, 700%, not 7% more or 70% more, 700% more lifetime value than the low loyalty client. Why? Highly loyal insurance clients are inclined to buy more insurance they're inclined to retain at 97% and they're inclined to deliver more referrals and of course that referral adds a snowball so they'll generally refer like roughly one person per year every single year right they'll they'll refer at least you know 2.5 people you'll turn two of them into customers so every loyal client becomes they triple themselves And they buy more, right? And so, when we talked about, you know, like how do you how do you increase customer lifetime value? Easy, get them to stay with you longer and get them to buy insurance from you, right? How do you get them to do that? Like on your end, you know, the producer delivers a written service plan, and then from the marketer's point of view, they they keep adding value and adding the uh, uh, increasing the strength of the emotional bond. So that when other people knock on their door, they they say, hey, "I'm already married. I don't need anybody else." And they yep. don't.
1: Yeah. The and then the other multiplier effect is this: if I'm a producer, well, just say I'm am I'm a producer in my uh, my first to five, six, seven years. Um, I'm I'm aggressively trying to grow. You got five kids. I got four kids. We need to make a lot of money to pay for these kids, and cars, and universities, and weddings. Tell me and about it. retirement. <laughs> kind of stuff. Tell me about. So I'm aggressive. Well, yeah. The more concrete and black and white our promises are, and the more we follow through with our promises, mm-hmm. the more I confidently go after bigger, better accounts. Ah. The less confident I am, the more. Fuzzy and marshmallow-like and vague, what we're doing is. And, and look, man, you, you, you and I've been around this long time. I've done it. I, I don't know how many wedge workshops I've done, but somewhere in the range of five hundred. So a thousand days at least been in front of. And, and one of the first things I always ask is, "What makes you different? What makes you better? What have you got to sell?" And everybody feels good that you know we're good people. We're smart. We're logical. We, you know, we're, 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 we care about our our clients. We got good partners, insurance carriers. We might even have in-house loss control and claims management. But so much of what they say sounds just like their competitor. Like when every, everybody it. else
0: in the room saying the
1: same okay. thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. when and, and everybody kind of knows it, but you want to pretend, it's like, like I, I want to pretend my daddy's bigger and tougher than you, right? I want to believe that that's true, whether he is or isn't. Mm-hmm. I want to believe that family look, but then when you start to turn around, and look at like, by the way, my dad's more than five foot six, but you turn around and look at it for real, so he's only five foot six and weighs 112 pounds. He's not a very big guy. So then I got to make up another story about it. And that's what differentiation is like. People won't look at it honestly in almost any cases, either either they've been so brainwashed and indoctrinated not to see the truth or whatever. So- when you got your services, black and white, all stacked up and named, and you build service timeline, you can imagine what it does to the confidence of a producer to want to go make great things happen. When you don't have that, man, it's always a struggle kicking them in the butt and they're having to sell their personality and their charm and relationship, all fluffy stuff that when you try to grab it, it's like grabbing clouds.
0: You talked about going after larger clients. Um one of the things that I've done, I, I you know, I probably should have full disclosure to the audience and, and to you, Randy, I'm not going to do this forever, right? <laughs> well,
1: how long is forever, Michael? Yeah,
0: well, not, you know, um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm certainly at a point in my career where, you know, um, uh, uh, other things in my life call my attention, right? You want, like grandchildren? My, my grandchildren. you want to say grandchildren? My yeah, grandchildren. Her... Just say it, man. We so <laughs> right. know what it is. Right? Uh, you know, other people than clients over whom or with whom I think I can have a positive influence. Mm-hmm. And 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 so um, as I've sort of reached this point in my career, I've had an opportunity to reflect back and uh, and identify clients I've had that have 10xed, right? Um, that have that have grown their agency ten times or more, and, and and I've I've had them East Coast, West Coast, personal lines, commercial lines, and I've identified a number of qualities, behaviors, and characteristics that they have in common. Um, there can be outliers to this, but sure. Um, in, in general, one of the things that I see is that um, in in the space that they're in, uh, they do keep pursuing. Um, more revenue per relationship, right? Uh, and, and um, that, in general, you know, if we see, you know, the the size of the premium go up, that you know, the delta between the service and the support that's needed, the friction that's needed to sustain that relationship, the delta just kind of gets bigger and bigger, right? And so the margins get bigger, which means that that's it, good for the agency and it's good for for the producer as well. Um, you know, again, there can be outliers on that, sure, but um, that that's been a fairly common well, even in like in personal lines, right? They don't necessarily have to go to high net worth, but. You know I've got a got a client who's you know grew from six to over a hundred million dollars in premium with what you might call a mass affluent right you know sort of America's middle to upper middle class right. you know has has right. a home has two cars has a boat has a snowmobile that kind of jazz right and so in that market um yeah they're very clear on who they want and um they they look for more revenue per relationship and and in general, I would say in both personal lines and commercial lines um that's a more desirable space for the independent agency channel right there are there are there are a lot of people in this country everybody needs insurance and there are those who are best suited for the independent agency channel that's who we should pursue and they tend to be those for whom price is not the um only sort of determining factor where, they're other, where they appreciate the other values that can be delivered in our channel. And what, what can our channel deliver? It can deliver a sense of relationship that gives us confidence and a sense of expertise that gives the customer yeah, the, the trust that they're in the right place.
1: Now, and so then the, the, the point I make, and, and there's a big distinction between middle market commercial and personal lines and main street, big, big, Mm -hmm. big difference, right? In terms of mindset and what you're going to do and the numbers and everything. Um, When when you get into the middle market, that sense of relationship and confidence can be be, uh, deconstructed down into very black and white actionable things you do so that now I don't have to just have confidence in you and just hope and trust. I can have confidence in the deal, and then it's easier to trust. And see what I just said, I think it's really important. When I don't know what you're going to do, I have to trust you, the guy. When I know what you're going to do, um, now I, I, I have a promise here, and now trusting you becomes a lot easier because now I could got something to hold you accountable to. Mm-hmm. So it it's in it, and, and and so then the you know, writing bigger accounts and going after it, and look, there's uh, most middle market agencies, and it depends on what size of middle market. But even when you get into the big, uh, the uh, private equity houses, some of them play at a big, solid, amazing level. But the majority of it, you know, it's a, it's an aggregate of a bunch of small agencies that are still thinking small. That might have hmm. some some middle market. So for for the clients I'm talking to, I'm going, man, the fields are white. With harvest, put on your cotton picking bag and let's go take the money. Because by definition, if we want to create a definition, by definition, most of your competition is very average. Let's go rise above it and play a different game, and let's go grow this thing. Let's go have some fun.
0: You you mentioned private equity, okay? So th- this is a this is a conversation without boundaries. So yeah, <laughs> all right right um, well, so certainly over the last several years we've seen private equity purchase and now own a lot of this industry. Um, I, I'm curious what your perspective is in regards to how that may impact this industry. because I I, I have some um, I have some concerns I, you know and I, I think they've they I think they've done some Great things for some of my clients. Okay, I want to be very clear about that. I've had clients benefited tremendously of uh, through you know they're purchased by a private equity or a private equity backed relationship. Um, but yeah, but, uh, but I've seen some um, I've seen some trends that have me somewhat concerned, and I was curious what your perspective was
1: well I mean I you know the uh, when you when you come into a, a rural area and you mm-hmm. you you know you you start to develop that and you knock out a bunch of little things and you put into Walmart and a Sam's and a Costco and all this sort of stuff I mean there's good and bad that happens right <clears throat> and and so it's not all good and it's not all bad it, but it serves a purpose so I, I in, a, in a strange way, the, the the private equity has served a lot of people well. And if they organize their platforms well, and they don't just look at it as a as a economic play, but they look at it as a business, it's probably really good for the industry. But those who just see it as it's just private equity, spend the money, get the return, flip it, flip it, flip it, and they don't make their mass better mm-hmm. Then then um i'm not I'm not sure i'm I'm not sure how great it is. I'll leave it at that,
0: Yeah, we can leave it at that. Um, yeah. you, well, you know, so here's one of my and I think I think it's a tremendous opportunity, at least right now for the agency that remains independent. Uh, because one of the things that I've seen happen with private equity purchased agencies is you know there there are a couple of factors that get go into play immediately. One is boom I just got a big check. Right. Enough so that I never have to work again in my life. Right. Uh, and two, um, I'm going to get an earnout. My earnout is generally based on some growth in my EBITDA.
1: Which means I've got to cut my costs, quit spending on people, <laughs> quit <laughs> paying bonuses, get rid of producers, quit shut down some of the services, don't hire anybody. And and and, yeah, and
0: and and perhaps uh, you know n- not not invest in oh technologies that you know aren't going to give me their you know give me the ROI like this year because I need it this year because I don't if I don't hit my ebitda benchmark I don't get any earn out at all in some situations and so there's a lot of caution about investing in the business now it could be uh, you know to that yeah, every agency has a what I call a strategic horizon. In other words, how much longer you're going to be around, right? So, you know, if you're a, a, a younger principal and you're going to be around, you know, twenty years, ten years, what have you. You're probably, yes, indeed, you probably need, you know adequate income. and at that point in your life, you're probably raising your family and you know you've you've got some legitimate needs. But you're also not really worried about so much about your EBITDA. You're not as much worried about your margins. If you make some investments and they're going to have a long-term return, then that's perfectly fine. On the other hand, when your strategic horizon is, near its end, then it, admittedly, there's probably less of an inclination to make long-term investments in growth.
1: But, but see, you got yeah. see. I, I asked the question, why is it that the, the private equity firms were able to be so successful in this industry? And I'm going to answer yours with that deal. Is that because the, the strategic horizon of a lot of people that they acquired was short. Those agencies, a lot of those agencies that they bought they weren't reinvesting. They weren't hiring salespeople. They weren't growing. They didn't have, because those guys stayed independent. Mm-hmm. The guys that they bought, and this is not 100% true, obviously. I mean, you know, nothing is, that I'm not trying to stereotype, but so much of what they bought were people who, you know, the 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 they had retired in place producers. Uh, they couldn't see how to get out of this box. Uh, they didn't know how to hire newbies and get it on. They didn't want to make that investment. And so take the big check and run. So it's um, that that's where the private equity did, did really did a service for a whole bunch did of Did a service guys. for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. They gave an exit strategy they never would have had before.
0: And a really good lucrative exit strategy. I, uh, it just uh, at some point. And it gets more lucrative the, the, all the time. Well, well, or not. I mean, this year's not last year, right? And so oh, uh, yeah, a, a lot of my, I, I know some of them who have simply shut down acquisition altogether. So. Um, you know, it, I think our acquisitions this year are going to be half or less than what they were last year, but we'll see. Cost of money is a lot more than it was a year ago.
1: But are they still paying less on the EBIT on the 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 times? Don't I mean, if, yeah. if they get Don't. the agency they want, they're still paying for it. We'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I I I know of a couple that were just like shut the door on acquisitions, and maybe because some of them have suffered negative organic growth.
1: Well, which in the world that
0: I live in is, you know, like that's never supposed to happen, right? I mean, you've always got to have positive organic growth.
1: Yeah. So see, you just so you go, how could anybody suffer negative organic growth if they had, if they acquired growth-oriented agencies? Well, they didn't. They bought, they bought the money, they bought the asset, and with it didn't come this energy that you and I are talking about. So, what's beautiful about that? Now you come back to. Being independent, this might be the best time on the planet to be an independent agency because the fields are white with harvest, just by the definition you just gave us. Mm -hmm. Um, The leadership in many of those firms is okay, but not extraordinary when it comes to growing producers and making them better and all that sort of stuff. They're trying to make operations better. But the, the engine, like in any car, the engine is your producer force and 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 they they just kind of like well you know
0: it's like, um yeah well the be, uh, the the business model is built on acquisition and I think I, I think this is a time where some are having a wake-up call and realizing you know what we also need to add organic growth because you the, the the good production and the good marketing generally comes because a principal's got a fire in their belly Bingo! Now you give that you give that principal a, a really big check, and you know, a earn out of a few years where they're going to be gone. The, the fire
1: in the belly, you know, yeah, is it can be put not, out. Not burning sure. quite so hot, right? I got two marketing questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Here's my two marketing questions. Uh huh. Number one, can we use marketing? I don't, I hardly see any, I see brand marketing being done, but I don't see lead generation marketing being done in the middle market world where, because of the marketing, we're getting prospects to raise their hand and go, How do I get to talk to you? Right. So, direct response, get people to raise their hand, set appointments, lead generation marketing, middle market, number one. Number two, almost everybody that I talk to, suffers from, well, how do you find the producers? Code word, how do we find talented people that we could and should hire? Not retreads, people who can't sell, guys who can't fill out an application. How do we we find talented people? So can marketing work to help us generate leads in the middle market arena? And does marketing work to help us go find producer talent?
0: So the answer is yes, and yes, and and I'll put it in some perspective. The answer is absolutely yes, and absolutely yes (laughs) to both of those questions. All right. So um, here's one of the challenges that I have confronted over the last few years. Okay, Um, I have yeah. People may or may not know that roughly five five and a half years ago, I sold Agency Revolution, which I started, oh, 12, 13, 14 years ago, one of the early insure techs, and, uh, and then since then, really focused on facilitating my mastermind group and enjoying my life in the desert, right? Gives me an opportunity to have you know contemplative thoughts about things, including about this industry. And uh, he, here's, here's the challenge. When I first started teaching marketing to independent agents, um, nobody had marketers. Uh, nobody really was doing much marketing. And so I was really teaching a lot of them how to do it. Um, more and more over time, particularly as my clients became bigger clients. And I realized, you know, first of all, my principals have such a full plate. And secondly, um, more are hiring marketers. And, and statistically, uh, uh, Coast research has indicated, like over the last five years, of their top tier agencies, like those with the fastest growth, of uh, like four or five years ago, uh, um, it was uh, 53% of them had marketers, then it was 56, then it was 59, and last year was 63. So more and more serious agents that are growing quickly had a marketer. I, I had this challenge of... How much do I teach about marketing to my principals? Like, do they want to know, do they want uh, to workshop on subject lines and email marketing? Um, or is this stuff like stuff that they're never going to get to? And, and a conclusion that I've come to recently is, is that I could simply do for them s- some of the things that I do for me right? Okay. So uh, w- one of those things, for example, is I know how to generate leads for Michael Jans. Well, the, the exact same principles, the exact same technology um, with customized content can deliver the exact same results for my clients. I can generate leads for them. So I'm, I'm in a sort of a, the middle of some beta testing on some things that have me very excited. One, lead gen for commercial lines. Okay. That's number one. Yes. The exact same, the tools. And, and part of the other thing that I realized was even if I taught them, or maybe even if I taught their marketer, maybe there's some things that's just easier where they can say, go do this for me. Boom. Okay. Another one. Um, hiring or finding recruiting talent. Now, here's where I started with it. Um, I realized that while more principals were hiring marketers, I also saw a lot of those relationships either sort of going sour or not quite fitting right or just under-delivering on results. And I realized, oh, well, that makes sense um, because a a lot of the principals, they're not marketers and they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know. They don't have, know how to create a revenue plan to have the marketer execute on, so on and so forth. But they also really don't know the contemporary models of talent recruitment other than let's throw an ad on Indeed or something like that. So I've started uh, hiring uh, uh, and recruiting marketers for independent agents that want one. Well, then it occurred to me, and I think this may have arisen from conversations. Well, actually, conversations with clients and with you, Randy. The exact same thing should be done for producers. Uh, you know, I, yes, I do believe that marketing is a breakthrough for independent agents. I also think think that quality producers who are who have quality training is another revenue breakthrough for independent agents, um, and. Uh, I would love to uh, 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 be cracking the code on using the exact same technology, using good quality marketing to deliver. And so instead of getting on Michael's calendar, let's get on the calendar of an independent insurance agency principal who wants somebody who's capable of helping them grow. So the answer is yes to that too.
1: Yeah. And so as you talk about that, and I think about that most, you know, Marketing, you know, say you had a database of a thousand people. You don't expect a thousand people to buy from you when you send out an email. Right. You expect some to raise their hand and mm-hmm. others you have to continue to nurture. And mm-hmm. then some will raise their hand and others you continue to nurture. If you look at the recruitment of talented producers, and we it's so, suppose we wanted to, to navigate or LinkedIn navigate or whatever it is, and we we pull off uh 2,500 what we think are the right people, you know? And then now we're kind of starting to market to them, that sort of stuff. Right. They're in different phases of their life, aren't they? They're in different phases of trying to get a bonus. They're in different phases of how's it going with their boss right now. They're in different phases of things with their spouse, having a job or having a baby. Mm-hmm. So so when you think about marketing to producer and talent, I think you ought to be thinking about that with the content marketing where it's a it's a 36 month you know, it's like I'm gonna get what I get now, but but it's a, but it, but it's a long term marketing thing. You get those guys in your database, and you're marketing them the same way as you would a prospect on commercial insurance or a prospect on whatever. I don't see anybody doing that, and so to help them set up those kinds of systems because they're going to be needing to hire. It depends on which agency. Uh, one producer a year, three producers a year. You're building up that talent pool. You're marketing those guys. That's where we, we got to change their thinking about that and then also make it easy for them. And I think that's where you come in as you have a way to make it easy for them. And together we change their thinking.
0: Right on. Yeah. I, I think we can do that. Absolutely. No question about that. Uh, the, the other thing I'm excited about, uh, again, I realized that I can teach content creation, but at the end of the day and at the end of the week and at the end of the month, most principals are going to look back and say it didn't get done. Right. And and if it did, uh, you know, maybe they, you know, it's average, which isn't good enough, right? right? So if we can keep kicking up the quality of content, start moving it up that thought leadership ladder, um, that can be a breakthrough. So the other thing I'm excited about and that I'm currently doing with clients right now Creating content for their blogs, video scripts, podcast, uh, outlines, um LinkedIn posts, and other social media posts. Uh, yeah, yeah, just it, getting it getting it done and getting it out there instead of thinking about it all year long and being frustrated,
1: yeah, I had a guy ask me the other day. he said, um, he said he, he showed me some stat that somebody produced that when in a selling environment, when you when you follow up with a video, the video, hey Michael, you know, I appreciate the blah, blah blah blah, you know, that those kind of videos. Yeah, right. And so just being a goofball, after he sent me that, I go, Well, I've never done that. And then I, I made a little video and sent it to him just to just to be weird. Well, after I did that, uh, and it was it was fun doing it being weird was easy, but but I sitting there going, you know, to to deliver a quality video to a prospect about something is not easy. It's easy to deliver a bad video. It's easy to deliver bad content. It's easy to write bad poems. It's easy to write a bad book. It's hard <laughs> to write a good one. So when you go back to that, the content and the training around what, what goes into that is enormous and to just to ponytail off that. So I, I did this thing in our technology, we break it down you know, I mean, the, the people we're attracting are people that want to hire and develop new producers as well as make their better producers better. You hire a newbie, they can't work red hot introductions. They they got to go take a cold base of two, 300 prospects that have no clue who they are. And they got to position themselves as problem solvers and try to set appointments to will make a living. So when COVID hit, I just came up with the idea about what about a five-layer voicemail strategy and five-layer email strategy? When I call you, instead of going, hey, Michael, Randy Schwanz, please give me a call at 214-446. I want to talk to you about your insurance. What if we made it about the prospect and the problems we know they have, and then we actually stepped stereostop- or, or cascaded those things? Uh huh. Because, because when you drive down the highway, you see a Verizon commercial, billboard, but then you see another Verizon billboard, and then you see another Verizon billboard. Why? Because they want to stay. They want to get front of mind. Well, how do we get newbies them to create solid content in the form of email and what I call voicemail marketing, where they're positioning themselves to the buyer as a problem solver, and where they go from totally unknown to known within. 21 to 30 days. And that is, and so the the feedback, I put that on LinkedIn, and then I get, well, I think I'm an old school guy. I think we ought to get out and knock on board doors. Yeah, you're an old school guy, but old school to me just means let's work hard. And then I get another guy, yeah, but you better have a good message. Damn right, you better have a good message. You better have a really good message. And that takes thought, not just. But when you do, now it goes back to the way you built your career strong, powerful messages, strong headlines that get stuff open, strong first sentence that gets people captured. And now also they're embedded in your world. And that's how you made a lot of your living. Is that a fair statement?
0: That's a pretty fair
1: statement. Yeah. So now can you imagine teaching newbies who are who are dependent on, I've got to set appointments. I don't know what to say or how to say, and I have no system by will to do that and create any sort of visibility with this prospect that I'm, I'm like dead to. I'm they could care less about me. I mean, we're, we're seeing some awesome results doing that. Outstanding. Awesome results, In spite of the old school thinking. It's pretty yeah. cool.
0: Yeah. Well, um, sales and marketing. I don't think, um, yeah, it, yeah, we can't have one without the other.
1: It should always be in the same sentence. Yeah. But we, we also have to agree. A lot of times, marketers are off doing this kind of brand marketing, you know, creating a brochure, putting a logo on it, and talking about d- doing the we stuff. Aren't we great? We've been around a lot. Of That's not really marketing. Now, marketing is getting inside of people's heads, stirring their emotions, and causing them to take some sort of action. Whether they, whether they click to have an appointment, or they go on your, your, your website and they look you up. Uh, consume
0: some content. Consume some right?
1: content, but this move them emotionally, and uh, so when you start to combine that kind of marketing with with really good sales, blow it
0: up. home. Boom. All right.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Well, Randy, um, it, it, the world has changed in that in, in some areas clearly. Um, and the internet is responsible for a lot of the change. It's made um, it's made uh, consumers expect more, which is probably a good thing for our industry, right? Because we, you know, the the old school historical way is sell a policy and then come back looking for the renewal, you know, ten or eleven months later. That's no good and so and so the um you know the consumer having been trained by other industries who were just you know faster more innovative than the insurance industry they learned that they can be in what really feels like a relationship with a company that they you know don't maybe you know they don't shake hands with anybody maybe ever right amazon amazon is a pretty good example of that it it can make Granular recommendations to me on the next book that I read, with a level of sophistication and knowledge of what's available, way beyond what my old independent bookseller used to be able to say. Right, um, and, uh, and and so consumer expectations are, have changed, but also the technologies that are available today can make it easy for the independent agency to be in relationship with the marketplace, and to do it in a manner that they can earn the trust of that marketplace, they can serve it with integrity, they can um, earn its loyalty, um, and they can do it so much faster than they used to be able to do before. Um, Admittedly, there are a million choices, there's new technologies every day, it can be intimidating, and if you know they're busy, like most insurance agency principals, they the, the the fear factor or lack of confidence may keep them from entering into that domain. But I'll encourage them to do that. They should be marketing and they should be training their salespeople.
1: Yeah, and so so we, and I want to ask you a question. So the, the, historically, marketing and insurance business has been mostly because you look at every commercial progressive Geico, uh, Liberty Mutual, the Hartford mm-hmm. good hands people almost all marketing for I say almost but but most of the marketing for in the insurance industry has been around personal lines and small commercial yeah so now it's it's an opportunity for the the front leaders mm-hmm. to now start to think about how to bring marketing to this middle marketplace. And um, the, I, I think that's that's going to be a fun place to play in the next one, two, three, four, five years, at least for me personally, is yeah. to watch how that unfolds. And uh, you know, working with you on doing that for a, a lot of our clients because it's it's an opportunity. No, I'm I'm saying to you as candid as I can. My experience is that nobody, zero, that I've seen personally is doing that other than they're doing a couple of podcasts and some things like that, but they're not doing direct response. Not many, not many. <clears throat> not but, many. but the ability to do that
0: now is so much easier than it used to be. So much easier. Your, your ability to access a high quality list and then your ability to reach out with automation to that list in a sequential fashion that adds value and earns trust Way before, like from the first point of contact in the marketplace, there can be trust. Way before it's time for them to pick up the phone or hop on your website and and reach out to you.
1: Yeah, can you imagine how much easier that would make for professional producers? Because nobody, nobody, nobody gives them a break as a general rule. Right. I'm seriously, nobody yeah. gives them. A
0: break. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. For the for the producer, like you
0: know, the the, the w- one of the ways I put this is. The, the difference between somebody wanting a quote and somebody wanting you is night and day right. because they can get a quote any day of the week. And what are they looking for? They're looking for the cheapest price. But if a producer is positioned as a problem solver, as an expert, and as somebody with integrity, boom, who do I want? I want that guy on my side.
1: Yeah. And there's there's also a big difference between selling a policy. You said that a little while ago and almost I almost started shivering. Uh, and, and I don't know. You, I know you didn't do it intentionally, but there's a big difference between selling a policy and um, winning an account. Big difference. It's a mindset yeah. shift, mm-hmm. right? Right big on. Shift.
0: Yeah, so, we're not just we're not just peddling policies.
1: No. All right, man. Well, let's All put right. a bow in this. So that's Michael Jans. I'm Randy Schwantz. It's two guys, thirty, you know, six years worth of combined experience in the sales and marketing arena. Working with commercial insurance agencies and, and personal lines, you know, it's just it's been a, a hoot being with you today, Michael. Thanks, man. You bet. Enjoyed it as always. We'll we'll do this again soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the connected insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking Media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.